you're taking notes, we're, we're, we're at the tail end of this series, really a couple more weeks. I'm trying to wrestle with the last chapter with, of Mark 16. Like I said a couple weeks ago on over the series, that Mark 16, if you wouldn't have maybe known it, it's controversial. There are at least three endings. And it's never contradictory. It never contradicts another gospel. So that's why many or all your Bible is going to still have it. You'll just have special little brackets. Have you noticed that? And little words between verse 8 and verse 9 and the last couple verses. And um, if you take out the rest from chapter 9 on, or verse 9 on, it will. It still talks about Jesus' resurrection. Um, it kind of takes the story and zooms in. Uh, I'm still wrestling with that. If I want what, how much of chapter 16 I want to deal with, um, but we're going to deal with the resurrection. But we have to deal with something that looked horrible at the time. But if you're taking notes, just put on the top of your notes. Oh, the wonderful cross, because that is a phrase. It's a song that I was listening to the other day, and I said I've got to call my sermon. Oh, the wonderful cross. But, and I, if you're a Christian, you've heard, maybe you heard that song or heard that phrase and you understand what that, it's kind of like saying Good Friday. It's good for us. It wasn't quite good for Jesus. In the long run, it was, but for the time when him on the cross, it didn't seem like it was good. But it's like the wonderful cross. When you look at the cross, it's a torture device. It's strange to have it on the wall. It'd be like having a noose up there. It'd be like having uh, the, the electric chair up there. It'd be like having a needle and where, you know, uh, one of those people, like if you're, if you just lay down and take a needle and then you fall asleep forever. I mean, that, it's a torture device. But the representation, what that means changes everything. And so what I want to do is I want to share with you a story uh, uh, of the, the, one of the stories that have changed my life since I've been first a Christian. And you'll recognize the story, uh, a guy named Jim Elliott and other missionaries. Um, I'm challenged by the story in multiple ways because not only did these missionaries were willing to go to unreached people group, I mean, most Christians I know aren't willing to go talk to their neighbors about Christ, let alone some stranger. I have a few groups of people that still show up at my door and knock on doors and want to talk. Okay, you might know a few groups that do that still. Okay. And I gotta, I gotta honor those groups of people because I oftentimes don't want to leave the comfort of my home to go talk to people about Christ. But Jim Elliott and other four other men, in 1956, they went into Ecuador and they, they reached an unreached people group, the Akka Indian tribe. And I've seen the movie. I mean, there's a movie called End of the Spear. Um, it's a great movie. It's, it's, it's pretty horrific. And it's challenging because not only what they were willing to go through for the gospel, because they flew their plane and the, they didn't... This tribe had no idea what it was. It's a yellow bee of some sort, right? It's a yellow striped uh, flying thing. What do you, if you've never thought of a plane, what do you expect it to be? It's some kind of creature. And so when the, when the missionaries came out, they, they thought they were threatened, so they killed them, speared them to death, all five of them. And I was challenged not only by that story, but I was even more challenged by the reaction of their spouses. Elizabeth uh, Elliot, how specifically, that's going to be good on my YouTube channel, specifically Elizabeth Elliot's reaction. Now, was she hurt? Of course. If you're a missionary and you go to an unreached people group, you know the risks you're going to take. You might be martyred for your faith. In fact, you read the Bible, the New Testament, 11 out of 12 of the disciples were martyred. They were killed for what they believed in. They were, there, there was, there was no, no one was really exempt. Even John the Apostle, who didn't die the ways that they tried to, he was abandoned, in a sense, on an island. And so nobody was exempt from suffering. And sometimes Christians, including myself, we, we, we look at our headaches and we think that's suffering. And it is. But compared to Jim Elliott, who is at the end of the spear, dead. Now, fast forward the story from 1956 for a year or two later, the wives go back to this same place. How many of us would be willing to do that? I'd be afraid. And I'd be like, you know what? If, if, if God forbid, if it was my wife that died over somewhere else, I would, I would be like, you know what? Those people killed her. Now I can never see her again until eternity. 
which it says in the Bible that we're not going to be married, but you know what I mean. You know, you're going to be like, hi, I'm going to be like that and go to Jesus. But I, she goes back to the tribe, reaches the tribe. Many, 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 many of the tribe get saved with the gospel. Even to this day, the Aka Indian tribe, they are a group of people who are loving Christians, but you wouldn't think that back in 1956. Now, why do I say, why do I share this when it comes to the wonderful cross? Well, the cross and what Jesus did on the cross can so inspire and so change and so direct someone that they, they have to, in their heart, forgive the unforgivable. To, to, to see someone in the light, in the, in the, in the eyes of Jesus, to see a horrible, this sounds weird, I'm not gonna, this is not, I'm not trying to be, uh, horrible here, but they see a group of people who, in my eyes, if you kill my spouse, they're a horrible group of people, I don't wanna be with them. That's, if I'm thinking like a human for a minute, okay? Some of you guys are too Christian, you're like, no, I'd go there in an instant. No, I'd wrestle with that. But Elizabeth and her and the wives, they went back and they reached out to them. Why? Because the gospel changed their life so they saw life in a different way. And what changed that? The cross. Jesus died for lost people. And you know, this tribe murdered people. They actually sinned against God. They sinned against these women, the children. These children no longer had any fathers. It shows the grown, uh, I don't remember his name, Jim Elliott's son, one of his sons uh, at the very end of the movie, grown up, reaching out to the people. It's just amazing. It just is life-changing that these people who can murder somebody, sin against God, sin against the family, and yet these wives forgave them and served them all. Now, we have all sinned against God. We've all been sinned against. We've all sinned against someone else. And we've all experienced something called shame, embarrassment, uh, whatever you want to call it, like hopelessness. Like, what am I? Who am I? What version of myself am I that this is how I'm living my life now? This attitude of mine, where did that come from? The way I treated that individual? Man, am I like Norman Bates? Who am I? Like, what happened to me? I thought God healed me. I thought God changed me. I thought I was a different person. Why am I reacting like that? Listen, today's a brand new day that we need to encounter maybe for the millionth time, the cross. Because the cross, what we're going to see in Mark 15, God doesn't ignore sin. He doesn't take a look at your sin and go, oh, that's okay. It's okay. It's like if you're, if you're a parent and your child does something horrific, like, I don't know, whatever, they're putting a hole in the wall or something, they're, or they're, they're, they broke your window in your, in your car. Like, you're not going to your kid and going, oh, that's okay. Here, let me reward you. You're not doing that. That's bad parenting. And the judge, who God is a judge, cannot look if he's coming from his throne and he's saying, oh, that's okay. I'll just turn a blind eye and wink at it. That's not a good judge. What do you do if that's a judge that does that? You throw him out, right? Or her out. They, they're bad judges. So what God had to do, instead of putting and heaping the penalty on you, he had to figure out something and he didn't have to think long because he, he's already planned it from the, from even the book of Genesis. Instead of sending some person that represents God, not send a missionary or even a prophet of old, he's going to send his own son to go on the cross to die for us so that he will have the shame. He will have the penalty. He will experience deep wounds. So that you can be healed of your deep wounds, that you, we're all wounded from our past, with our past. Sin, bad choices, people have heaped insults on you that you don't deserve. And you live your life, and I live my life often very wounded and very embarrassed and shameful. And he doesn't turn a blind eye. What he does is he provides deliverance from the penalty of sin. He heaps the shame that was on us, on someone else, his own son. And if that's not love, if, if, if someone were to come up to me and say, Joel, that's not really love, then be like, I, I, I'd be out of here. Like, what, what, what does that even mean? How can that not be love? That is love. If someone is willing to die for their enemy, me, versus God, and make 
a way so that we are children of God, if that doesn't change me, then what will? I look at Elizabeth and all these wives going back to reach them, and I am eternally like challenged. Like, why would, why would they do that? The only explanation is not they're a bunch of morons that don't know any better. No, God so much changed their lives, and forever they changed that group of, tr- that tribe. Because, and it started with five people getting murdered, getting martyred. And so, look at Mark 15. Jesus, we ended the story last week on he was just getting ready to go to the cross. He had been arrested, mock trial, horrific, beating. Remember what he looked like. If you look in your mind's eye, he looked like he was not human, according to Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, that he wasn't even going to look human because he was beat and whipped and mocked and spit upon, pulled his beard, all that kind of stuff. And it gets worse than that. Mark chapter, you wouldn't know it because of Mark 15, because it's so minimalized, okay? Mark 15, verse 21 to 32, it says this, A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, and if you read, if you know your New Testament, there's two people that will be mentioned later on in Paul's letters. That's why they would mention that. Oh, those people, okay, I know who that is. The father of Alexander and Rufus, he was passing by on his way from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, which you can Google it even today and find a place that looks like a skull. It's pretty amazing. Okay. Then they offered Jesus wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. That would have helped him ease some of the pain. That would be like having a headache and giving some Tylenol. No, thank you. I'll just hurt. Okay. But he did not take it. And they crucified him. (laughs) There's There's your detail about the crucifixion. And they crucified him. Wow. A lot more happened than that. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see which one would would get, what they each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. So think about the clothing for just a minute. This is something that most people don't think about, the embarrassment of what Jesus had to go through. I guess the fact that he was naked on the cross was the least thing that he was worried about. But you ever have a dream when you were a kid? You're going to school naked. Like, that's embarrassing. But to be honest, what are they doing with his clothes right now? They're casting lots. Or another translation said they're rolling dice, which I guess in a way it's the same kind of thing. And they went, okay, seven, you win that. Five, you win that. And what does it leave Jesus? Nothing. He's on the cross naked. Now on TV and paintings, he has a loincloth. That's to protect us from having to see exactly him naked. But Jesus, the Son of God, not only has to deal with the punishment that we have done and the pain, but he's buck naked. But they crucified him at nine in the morning. The written notice of the charge against him read this, the king of the Jews. That was his charge, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so, and I like putting little, I like to, say how it would sound. So, you are the one who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days? Come on down from the cross and save yourself. Could he have done that? Yes. In the same way the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves, he saved others. See, notice what they're admitting about Jesus. They're admitting that Jesus saved others. He did good. He was right. They admitted it right there. Right? I, I read that this week going, wait, they actually just admitted that he could save. But he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, let him come down now and from the cross, and then we may see and believe. Ooh. Ooh, that'd be tempting for Jesus, wouldn't it? Ooh. If I could just see, Lord, a little bit, I would believe. Just, here, just give me a glimpse, and I'll believe in you, God. Just go, nope. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. The cross. The wonderful cross. The cross is the epicenter of your faith. Some people would say the resurrection. Listen. 
you can't have the resurrection without the cross. And you can't, if you have the cross without the resurrection, you just have another martyr for, for what he believes in. That happened all the time in that, that world. Some rebel would come forward and say, I believe this is happening. And they say, you know what? You're being blasted. We're killing you. He would be buried and the end of story. People would forget him in history. So we have the cross and we have the resurrection. But let's focus on the cross, the wonderful cross. Without the cross, we have no gospel. Without the cross, we have no saved lives. We have no salvation. We have no changed lives. We could never truly change without the cross. In fact, when you look at the New Testament, if you look throughout the entire New Testament, especially as Paul's writing, which is the majority of it, but you will see the cross everywhere. You can't go through Paul's writing without seeing Jesus and him crucified. Okay? There's a few verses I want to, I want to give you an example, a couple examples. First Corinthians 2, chapter 2, verse 2. I, I, I love what it says. He goes, for while I was with you, Corinthian church, while I was with you, I made up my mind to forget everything except Jesus Christ and especially his death on the cross. I want you to think about a preacher for just a minute. The preacher is trying to tell the church some wonderful doctrine, some wonderful story of God's, some inspiring story. And then everybody's like this. I don't get it. And he goes, okay, 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 forget it, forget it, forget it. Let's, let's put all that stuff that's good that's on the side. Let's focus on what really matters. And that's what Paul does to this church. He goes, you know what? Forget that right now. Forget that right now. This we can talk about later. This we can talk about later. We can wrestle over this. We can wrestle over that. We can wrestle over speaking in tongues. We can talk about prophecy. We can talk about all that. But when I was with you, because they're probably like, huh? Or, the Corinthian church was so sinful, which this is what I believe, because you read the book of First and Second Corinthians, those letters, it was embarrassing. But one of the guys was sleeping with his stepmother. You know, it's like, oh, okay, and that was the guy on the board, right? I mean, uh, he goes, listen, he goes, stop, he goes, stop. Let's focus on Jesus, especially Jesus crucified. Because that is what, to Paul, was the epicenter. That was the main thing. You pull that out, you just got some guy who, who did some good teaching. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23 and 24, there is a verse, there's a couple verses that it's very similar. There's a couple verses that are similar to this. It says this in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23 and 24. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended. There's no way that the Messiah will die. That's what they say. They forgot to read the book of Psalms. They forgot to read Isaiah 52 and 53, okay, 54. And the Gentiles, the outsiders, they're non-Jews. They didn't grow up in this. They say it's all nonsense. What you believe, you're an idiot, okay? But to those who are called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, how many of us, that's you? You're called to salvation. You're not Jewish unless you are, then that's you. But you're a Gentile, you're outsider, you're an outsider, you're a foreigner. To those of us who are saved, Christ and him crucified, what? Is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ crucified is not weakness. It's not Jesus, it's not God showing his weakness or his, I don't know what's happening. It's not like when you, we start carrying a bunch of groceries in the, you know, we're like, oh, we drop everything. That's me. When I try to grab a bunch of one liters or 20 ounce to get, to do something very quick, and I go from the back room with like 20 bottles, and I'm like, and I've had a few times where I'm like, I'm like, ooh, don't buy that one right there. I can see it's foamy. It's like we think that about God. When, when, when Jesus died on the cross, a lot of times, if you're an outsider, you don't have the mind of Christ. You're going, well, if that really happened, that just proves that God has no control. He just, he fumbled, he fumbled the ball. He just, oh, there's the Pepsi bottles, oh, they're gone. But he goes, no, 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 no. If you're called to God in salvation, you see things differently. You look at Jesus crucified, you see, no, it's not weakness. It's the power of God, and it's the wisdom of God. He's so smart that he goes, you can't earn it yourself. Even if you live the rest of your life from now on, perfect. I'm sorry, but you sin one time, 
You're done. We're done. I, I could go back in one day of my childhood and go, well, I guess I'm done. But Jesus, you have to have the mind of Christ. A lot of people who don't have the mind of Christ, they look at all this. They look at the church. They look at a Sunday. Why in the world would you waste your Sunday morning on this? Really? You're going you're gonna to go to the church on Sunday and watch this guy go, blah, 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 and go like this and talk and talk and talk. Man, is he animated. Man, does he like to talk. You're going to waste your day like that. It's not, it's, not, it's not this. It's not even the worst. It's nothing. It is God. He is powerful. It is him. We celebrate God. It's him crucified. That even his death is power. Because it is more than enough to save even the worst sinner. If Hitler, which, you know, there's nothing good about the guy. Let me throw that out. If Hitler were to not kill himself, and he actually repented of his sin. See, my cynical, fleshly side says there's no way on earth. Well, if that's true then Christ's death on the cross is weak. You can only save some. You can only save those of us who are kind of good. See, how many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of us who are kind of good, right? We're not perfect, but, you know, we do have good days. I'm not like Hitler. I'm not Ted Bundy, okay? I, those people, they deserve hell. I don't really do. So we start making excuses why we don't, we don't need, we, I wouldn't go to hell. It's not that bad. Listen, he died for the worst of sinners, and that's because the cross is powerful enough to even satisfy the wrath of God to the worst of sinners. Okay? Even the worst of sinners. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says, Let us run with perseverance. I, I, I love this. Just hold on for a minute. I love this, especially at the very end. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What are we need to do? We need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the author, the perfecter of our faith. What well, here it is. For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. He scorned its shame. Pause. What does that mean? Let's say it how it really is. He had joy set before him. He had joy even through it. He had joy beyond the cross. He could see beyond the, the pain and the suffering and the insults and the plucked beard and the crown of thorns. He could see through all that. Why? Because he saw the end results. That's why we cannot lose heart. That's why we can go through life fixing our eyes on Jesus and we can run with perseverance. Why? Because if we're like Jesus, we can see joy at the end. We might be miserable in the begin in the middle. No, 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 people, Christians say. No. Jesus says there's joy all the way through the, the journey. Sometimes the journey is hard. Sometimes we suffer. But we go through it and go, we don't say, God, you've abandoned me. God, you've, you've let me go. No, we go through it just because Jesus went through that. He endured the cross. He scorned its shame. What's the word? What? The shame. And then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen to this. I wasn't going to add this verse. But consider him. Who's him? Jesus. Just consider him. Who endured such opposition from sinners. Keep your mind fixed on Christ so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. How in the world can you not grow weary and lose heart? You consider what Jesus went through. And if he can go through it, you want to know something? You, Jesus is God, yes. But was he man? Was he flesh? Yes, he was. Not a trick question. You, you cut him open, he bled, he bled. He's human. He was born. He came out of his mother's womb. Okay? But consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There's a worship song that actually we're going to listen to on YouTube right before we leave. And it's called The Wonderful Cross. How in the world can someone say The Wonderful Cross? It's a torture device. Why not just say The Wonderful Christ? And I, I understand that. Yes, he's wonderful. He's marvelous. He's beautiful. He's perfect. He is good. He's merciful. He's forgiving. He's loving. But look at the cross. 
there's a couple reasons why I think we can say the wonderful cross. The wonderful cross, number one, the cross shows the depth of Christ's love for you. If you take out the cross, if you take away Jesus, if you take away that story, what do you have? I think that we can go, you know what? We have a God who is a judge, and I'm stuck. I'm up a creek without a paddle. I am done for. I am stuck. God is going to be, he's judging me. I'm going to go to hell. Why do I say that? Because we believe that. Without without this forgiveness of sin, we are separated from God forever. And God's not happy about it. God is, he's horrified by it. He was so horrified that he's willing to send his own son to die for us. Why? Because the cross at the end of the day and at the end of our life and as we go into eternity, we're always going to remember that the cross actually shows the depth of Christ's love for you. You, you can you can look all you want at this world, how bad it is. You can look at your financial statement and go, oh man, I have more month at the end of my paycheck or or uh, I, I'm just dealing with this pain. I'm dealing with it. You can look at all that and that's fine. It's a human condition. We all do that. Oh, God, don't you care about this need? Don't you care about that need? Obviously, you don't really love me. We, we start having these little conversations with ourselves. The reality is, if you consider the cross, you consider Christ, it shows us the depth, how deep his love really is for us, how wide his love is for us. He took the sin against himself. He took the shame. He took the punishment. He took the embarrassment. So I want you to see the scene in Mark 14 and 15 for just a moment. Just be reminded of the scene here. If you've been paying attention, you know the story already. It's happening at 9 o'clock. He actually is crucified at 9 a.m. Just last night, during dinner time, he's having a wonderful meal, what we call the Last Supper. During that time, we know that he has his 12 disciples sitting there. One of them, Judas Iscariot, who, by the way, I've said this a lot, but I want to say it again, he's a close friend of his. He's not an enemy of Christ. He's not. He's a friend of Christ. He spent three years with the guy. He saw everything with him. He goes, you're going to betray me. He leaves. Then they get up from the meal. Then they go out into the Garden of Gethsemane. The disciples, the rest of them fall asleep when they should be praying. And then he sees the torches, the light. He sees Judas. He sees the rest of them, this gang of people. And J- Judas goes up and kisses them on the cheek. And then they grab him. Then what do the rest of them do? Scatter. Then they take Jesus up to this place, and he's standing there before this person. And right down the courtyard, right below, is Peter warming his hands by the fire. And this girl says, hey, I know who you are. You have that ac- that Galilean accent. It's like if someone had a main accent, I would recognize it from a mile away, right? You, you're Galilean. No, I don't know the I don't know the man. And he doesn't just say it once, not twice, but thrice. That sounds smarter than three times. Three times, he denies Jesus, his close friend. And by the way, Peter was one of the inner three. Jesus was friend. He's friends of all. He had. Over 500 people that were following Christ at one time. Then he has 12 people who are closer to him. Then even zoom in, he has Peter, James, and John who are his inner circle. The one that's closest to him says, I don't even know the man. Gone. Then he goes to this cross. Jesus felt betrayed. He felt abandoned. He knew isolation. If you've experienced any of that, the expert on that is Jesus. Who who better to talk to when you feel betrayed by a close friend, supposed close friend? Who else to go to when you feel abandoned? Who else when you feel like if you you maybe don't say it out loud like some people, but you feel inside your heart that God the Father has abandoned you? Because someone told you a long time ago that if you're a Christian, Christians don't deal with that. They don't deal with that. They don't deal with that. They don't deal with that. If you're dealing with that, I'm sorry. 
obviously something's wrong. And you go, well, I'm trying, Lord. Obviously, you've abandoned me. We make lies. He has never abandoned us. But if you feel like God's abandoned you, talk to Jesus. He was on the cross. What did he say from the cross? Why have you forsaken me, God? See, when it comes to the cross, there's a huge amount of pain. But Mark doesn't emphasize the pain of the cross, does he? Verse 25 simply said, and he was crucified. That's the story of the crucifixion right there in Mark. I mean, I want to talk to this guy, Mark. I mean, we have the rest of him. Like, do you under, what's your, what's your problem? He'd go, I wrote it for people like you, Joel, because he can read it really quick. Okay, thank you. But actually what Mark focuses on, his attention on throughout 14 and 15, is the mockery of it all. The shame that Jesus experienced. The, not the, not exactly the pain, but the shame that was put upon him. The insults, the, the mockery, the fake worship. Notice that last week we talked about that. People were bowing down in fake mock worship to him. Oh, we worship you, almighty God. Oh, you're God. Mocking him, spitting upon him. That's what Mark focuses on. In fact, in the story, Jesus is paraded in public with a crowd watching. From where he was tried to where he's crucified, 324 yards, give or take a few yards. Three and a quarter football fields he had to walk in a parade. We went to a parade at Barbecue Days. When we were little, when we were little, when Hayden was little, we were younger. I was a, I was a little bit more, I was a little bit little, less. The, we used to go down the parade with the kids, with the uh, after-school program. Remember that? We would parade them and we're like waving and stuff like that. It was fun. But imagine Jesus being a whole parade. And this guy... Grab that cross and you walk it for him. He's carrying that cross for Jesus. And what it is is the crucifixion is warning everyone in the city to look out and see what happens when you go against the government, when you go against the religious elite. If you go against the religious elite and you go against the government, this will be your punishment. That's exactly what they're praying, why they're praying him. They're taking on the outside of the city because Jesus is, according to the religious people, he's too unclean to be even killed on the, in the city, in the city limits. They take him on the outside of the city. Why? Because that's where you put trash. In fact, right by Golgotha, there is the city dump. Where, where do you put trash? According to them, Jesus is nobody but just this guy who's nobody. He's just trash. We're going to kill you at the, at Golgotha. It's a skull. But it's by the city dump. See, they nailed this charge on the cross, king of the Jews. They strip him of his clothes. They cast lots to go to give away his clothing to the people. If you look at Psalm 22, written a thousand years before, look at a couple verses here. This is written by King David, and I don't think the King David knew exactly what he was writing. I don't. Did you know that in the, in the Psalms there's prophecy? There's actually prophecy in Psalms. Okay? So it's all symbolic. No, it's prophecy of some future person. Look at Psalm 22, verse 16 through 18 says, My enemies surrounded me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my clothes among them and they cast lots for my garment. Listen, it's interesting because if you read this historically in the time frame, they actually talked about crucifixion before it was even invented. A couple hundred years, actually. They, had, they have no idea. David has no idea what he's writing about piercing the hands and feet. They have, he has no idea. He may, he may not even t- talk about, he may not even know he's talking about the Messiah. He, I don't know. Verse 7 and 8, if you go back a few verses in Psalm 22. Everyone who sees me mocks me. 
They sneer and they shake their head saying, is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. If you read Psalm 22, you see this. You see a picture a thousand years before Jesus was crucified that he's going to be mocked. He's going to, they're going to say, Oh, you can't, how come the Lord's not saving you? How come you're not, how come you're not getting down from the cross? It predicted it, prophesied it. And Jesus went through all of that for uh, us. They're mocking from the ground to the cross. They're mocking the one who can save them. I thought about that this week. The very one that saved them, that could save them, if they would realize it, they're mocking. I want to be very careful. I don't want to offend anybody or myself. I really don't. Like, in my life, do I make a mockery of the cross just by the way that I respond to things? Because he died for me. He died for me. He made me right with God the Father. He made me right with him. And sometimes I just go, um, whatever, I'll just do my own thing. Really? My question is a simple one, but it's challenging. Does God, and I've been saying it for the last however many weeks, does God deserve our all? Is he, is he worthy of all of our praise? And if we can say no, if we live our lives saying basically no by the way that we live and it, it, or the way that we live. You know what it says? It says that, God, you're not worth it. So, in some ways, I mock Christ, in a way, in the cross, by the way that I live. I need to, and I've done this all week, every day going, Lord, help me. Maybe I'll do this the rest of my life every day. Lord, help me to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. Because he's taken us somewhere where only he can take us. If I'm left to my own devices, I'm going to get lost. Okay? So, the cross shows the depth of Christ's love for you. Number two, the cross shows us that God wants to replace your shame with glory. The cross shows us that God wants to replace your shame, the stuff that you heap on yourself and you have done yourself and the devil reminds you of and he says, oh, remember that time? And you have no shame. You have no, you have nothing from God to you. He took upon himself. And there's some days that you wake up and go, Oh, remember that time? Remember that time, Joel? Remember that weekend? Remember how you treated your spouse? Remember how you treated your good friend? Remember how you treated your boss? Remember how you treated your employee? Remember how you treated that teacher when you were a kid? Remember that time that you threw a rock at someone's house and broke them and lied about it? Remember that? Oh, I don't remember that. See, there's certain things that come back, creeping in in your life, and what happens? You can still, as a Christian, walk in shame. Who's the one that brings it up? The devil. Who will say, oh, God's not good enough. God's not powerful enough. He didn't die for you. He died for everyone else. Oh, you're right. I'm just too far gone. See, he wants to replace your shame with his glory. That's what he wants to replace it with. In fact, back in, back in Genesis, we're not going to read it today, but in Genesis, when sin entered the picture, what else entered in? Shame. How do I know that? Well, Adam and Eve, not only did they make garments for themselves, you know, because they're like embarrassed and shameful. Oh, you can't see me naked, even though it's just you, Eve, right? It's just me and you. I mean, who else is there here, right? But then they also hide from God, as if you could hide from God. Because they were shameful. No longer, Jesus saying on the cross, no longer do you have to be hidden in shame. No longer do you have to hide from God. No, you no longer have to cover yourselves. Jesus has covered over for you. You can go to God with boldness. In fact, Isaiah 54, we read a couple of verses from Isaiah last week, but I love this. This is getting very poetical in a sense in Isaiah 54. But Isaiah 54, verse 1 and 3, it talks about, because if you read it, you're like, well, huh? 
It's talking about people who are far from God and the hope that they have. They're far from God, but they have hope in the future. Okay? Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song. Shout for joy, you who never labor, because there are more, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Okay? It's an image, a picture of someone that has no hope. No hope that all of a sudden the person that has no hope can now all of a sudden sing for joy. For you will, you will be spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispose nations and settle in their desolate cities. Verse four and five. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. Talking about the people of Israel. And if we zoom in, talking about us. You will forget. Everybody say forget. You will forget the shame of your youth. Don't let that creep into you. And when he means youth, he doesn't mean just when you're a young kid, but the stuff of your past. You'll remember no more the reproach of your widowhood when you weren't bearing fruit for God. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is what? Your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. Now, I want to close with a song. And this will be, in a sense, your, your seat is your altar with God. It is your time to do what you need to do with God. It will give you a few minutes to listen to the song. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, verse 1 and 3, a little odd. talks about a barren woman, woman that doesn't have children, that kind of widow. Uh, but the picture is there. Those who have no hope have every reason to have hope and joy and sing songs. Why is that? Because you have hope. You have God is your Redeemer. It's like the other song, My Redeemer Lives. My Redeemer lives. This is your story. This is your story. Right? God wants to replace the shame of your past with present and future glory. And you haven't seen all of it yet. But someday, we're going to experience the glory of God 100% because of what Christ did on the cross. Now we're going to play a song, and then at the very end, I'll just pray and we'll be done. But I want you to pay attention and listen to this. And just even more important than that, just um, have alone time with God. Have your altar right here, okay?
Lord, we do praise your name. That we die to ourselves and die to our past. We, our past is dead. It's gone. Buried. So that we could truly live. God, we live forever with you because of what you accomplished on the cross. And Lord, you deserve our all. And Lord, I, I humble myself and say, Lord, there are times where I don't give my all to you, God. And you deserve my all. You deserve the all of my heart and my life and my words and my reactions and the way that I treat people and the way that I've walked away from my past and all the things that I've done are, are washed. And I trust that your work on the cross is enough so I can walk without shame, without punishment, without without uh, embarrassment. And it does seem too good to be true, but Lord, that is what it is. We can walk in boldness to you, to the grace of of God, to the glory of God. We can enter into your glory forever and ever and ever because of what you have accomplished. We thank you for that, God. We know that when you die on the cross, it wasn't the end of the story. But Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the wonderful cross. We worship you, almighty God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you guys.